What is up, everybody? Welcome back. Uh, it is Tuesday after Memorial Day, and Tuesday means a brand new episode of the Hold That Podcast podcast brought to you by The Athletic, uh, the best sports writing site uh, on the internet. And I mean that as an athletic customer. I'm very happy working with them now. Um, if you go to theathletic.com slash hold that podcast, you sign up with that link, you get 40% off. It's an incredible deal. Trust me, it's worth it if you like reading anything about really any sport. But it's got all your LSU coverage, uh, excellent Saints team, um, but all the sports, man. It is just the best writers, and it's a website with no ads because you pay. And you get a cheap deal if you go to athletic.com slash hold that podcast. Uh, this is the Hold That Podcast podcast where we just talk LSU football every week. I am T. Bob Aber. I host a radio show in Baton Rouge, and I'm joined Every week by my co-host Brody Miller, who is a writer for The Athletic and a damn good one, if I say so myself. Oh, was that was that the lead in to me? Wow, that was smooth. I, I didn't realize. Hey, yeah, that was good. Yeah, that was the uh, that was that was the the lead. Um, I just came back in from running shirtless. Sorry, that's why I was slow there. Yeah, and uh, so Brody then teases our number one topic, and really the number one topic on the tip of everybody's tongue, and that is Coach O breaking the internet this weekend, um, looking like a leathery alpha male ready to take on the world of college football. Uh, so we will talk about Coach O's shirtless jaunt. And then after that, uh, Brody actually wrote a really good piece in The Athletic. And it has to do with LSU returning to play because it is, what is it, like May 25th or something? What's today's date? May 25th right now, or 26th, yeah. Woo! Okay, okay, so I was close. Um, but, but I mean, so that, that means we are now two weeks away. LSU is saying that their athletes are going to report for voluntary workouts on June 8th. Two weeks away. This stuff happens fast, and Brody did a great job of talking to Shelly Mullenix, who's been trainer at LSU when I was there for over two decades, about how they've been planning for the pandemic new protocols, new procedures, and it's really fascinating. I think it's going to offer a lot of insights. We'll talk about that, and then we'll get into some, that's right, Heisman Trophy talk. As a college football fan, there's nothing that makes me more warm in my loins than some May 26th Heisman Trophy talk. <laughs> and then you throw in guys like named Chubba Hubbard. Let's go. Um, but let's start. Speaking of being horny, Brody, Coach O, Killing it in Florida this weekend. Um, so obviously, as as everybody knows, he is now uh, he's going through a divorce. It's public news. What do you do when you go through a breakup? You try to get in great shape, right? And he's always been in good shape. But I think my man's is working on his best body right now. He's feeling himself. He's putting it out there. He goes on vacation at Destin Memorial Day weekend, and he decides to go running in the sun as an LSU beat reporter, Brody. What was your journalistic uh, takeaway from watching Coach O go viral over the weekend? 
Well, I think the first takeaway is obviously the form, right? I think you have to start there. You know, it's a you know it's a hot day in Destin, I imagine. You know, the so it doesn't seem like he you know his, his full body's into it right now, and that's tough. But hey, he's he's fifty eight years old, I believe, and he's he's running consistently, and you gotta admire that. My second takeaway, which is something that has always been very on the top of my mind, whenever because Coach O runs around Baton Rouge, as you know, pretty much you know just about every day. And I'll yep. always, I always jump out to the man runs without headphones. He runs without listening to anything. And that is not something you see often in, in, in 2020 in modern times. So it's always kind of rattled me. And one time he was, I think we were heading in for an interview like with players and he was leaving and he was going out to run and I'm like, no headphones. And he said, like, ah, I got enough stuff in my ear all day or something like that. You know, some generic answer, but why this is important is it means that Ed Ogeron literally blocks out the noise. Well, I guess you could view it the other way because he literally runs without any music. So he, he follows his mantra. But you could also, I guess, view it the other way and be like, well, you know, he's not head, headphones to block out the noise and he's not blocking out the noise by not blocking out the. Uh, no, you, headphones you could look at don't, it either no, way. Block, block out, no, block out the noise. Or your, your instincts are right. Block out the noise so. is not that literal, it's metaphorical. <laughs> and. Nah. We often fill our brains with noise to stay entertained. I mean, I can't, thanks to AirPods, I can't get up to like take a piss without being like, I should listen to another two minutes of this uh, podcast that I love so much. And, and, and it's sad. Like I was thinking about the other day, like when do I ever just let my brain completely veg out? Like, like when, yeah. when, when do I really let it sit there? Not even veg out. When do I let it sit there and go to its own devices? I don't do it a lot. Because I don't think I want to deal with a lot of the harsh truths that my brain has to bring up a lot lot of times. Coach O has no such fears. As you said, there he is running, meditating, whatever he does, sans headphones, and uh, and looking good while doing it. It's it's interesting you mentioned the fact that he's 58 because his body looks incredible for that age. But you are right that his form does betray... That's not a critique. It's it's not a It's just just an observation. I think it's almost more admirable going on. I think it's a little more admirable to be like, hey, like no matter where I'm at in life, like I am gonna run every single day. Which, from what I understand, he does, and he's like, I am gonna lumber my way through it. I think that's the more admirable move. I think. uh, Hell yeah, dude! I'm I'm 25. I'm theoretically good to go and run whenever I want, and I never run. And that's going to yeah. probably, you know, I will not be running as well as him when I'm 58 because I'm not running now. That'd be my guess. I'm viewing it as I'm saving my body, but maybe, I don't know, we'll see how that, that plays out in the, in the coming decades. But, yeah, my Yeah, my I mean, you got you to save some, you, you got to save some tread on the tire there, Brody. You never know that's, that's what mentality. physically demanding challenges are coming it's in like your It's like LSU. Like, LSU cut down their practice time, and that's why they, that's a big <laughs> part of what they credit their national championship to, is they were freshest at the end of the season. I'm trying to be freshest at the end of my life, and I... I don't okay. want to say call me a visionary, okay. but you know, I think I think I'm onto something. I feel way better now about barely working out uh, over the past month. I feel good now. I'm just saving myself yeah. for just a couple more months. Just a couple more months. And I asked around, asked some so doctors. It's not true older. that if you don't use it, you lose it. So, yeah, I think we're good. No, no, you won't lose it. You're going to get fat as shit. Uh, but that's okay because then you're going to have more fat to burn off when you're old, and you and that's a cooler shape. story. No one wants to be like, wow, um, I stayed in shape for 40 years. They want to hear like, wow, I lost 40 pounds at age 50. That's a cooler that's story. That's, no, it's a really good point. The- you're never, you're never going to go viral if you don't get really no. fat first. Like, We need a drastic, transformative change. Um, yeah, I'm playing and, PR and, 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 two decades ahead of time. 
So, uh, shout out Kucha. He looked good. He, he and also I, I mean, think the, the last best part of that I would video. comment on his skin is so Cajun and like weather beaten and like outdoor proof. I feel like he could sit in front of the sun from I don't know like 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 a hundred yards away or like if the ozone burned up you could plug the hole with Coach O. It just looks yeah, like his it's, body. It's almost like a solar battery at this point. It's the skin of an alligator is how I view it. I think that's really what yep. we're working with there. But I think my favorite takeaway was, because I don't know, there was the one video that went viral, I think, like three days ago, and then like there have been more in the last day or two, but people just like following him around and trying to get pictures with him and all that. And I don't know if you've noticed, but it's just been like he's just trying to run, and like guys are like trying to jog along with him and have somebody take a picture while they're jogging. There's one yeah, guy one who like, stopped his... in the flip-flops. Yeah, yeah, and then then there's the the one guy who like stopped his car, and Coach O's just kind of like casually waving to the car as he runs. I mean, I would love to. I mean, the athletic. I'm I'm not saying do it, but I'm not saying don't do it. Send me to Destin. Let me write a scene, please, piece, because yep. I want to know what this vibe is like. It seems like everybody in Destin right now, which I imagine are a lot of people, is just following him. It's uh, that that's yeah. the scene I'm most fascinated by. Yeah, no, I feel like um, that'd be a really prudent use of resources in these times. If you're listening, John, y'all should definitely send Brody and by extension, uh, the rest of the Hold That Podcast team down to Destin. Actually, I don't know if I'd want to go to Destin right now. I might chill out a little bit. Uh, but shout out Coach O, man. Breaking the internet. The brand is strong. Go run shirtless. And look, everybody loves you. Um, now, the more serious topic that we have to talk about today and uh, the more interesting one, uh, in fact, is LSU returning to action. So once he returns whole beautiful and muscled up and tan and ready to go uh his players will be joining him shortly thereafter um lsu was already they believe the first staff to return to work full-time that was a couple weeks ago a few weeks ago and they're trying to be at the forefront of this june 8th date uh, which the sec approved if you know players could show up for voluntary workouts which is such a Funny misrepresentation of the situation, um, but that's fine. We'll call them voluntary, sure. Although, if, if, if you don't show up, see if you're still on the team come fall time. Uh, but, but either way, players can report June 8th. You had a great piece talking to Shelly Molinix about this. How do you want me to kind of lead you? Like, like, like how, do you, how, how do you want to break this conversation down? Because it's a lot, but it's a lot of good information, and I want to touch on all of it. Well, I mean, I think the best way is just kind of starting with the fact that, I mean, LSU, like you said, they have kind of been at the forefront of all of this. And, I mean, like you said, they're the first staff back in college football uh, that, that returned, I believe, a full three weeks ago back to the offices and whatnot. And it, from what I've gathered, they have been one of the main schools kind of in the SEC task force meetings and all those things, kind of writing policy and having a pretty strong voice. So, they were the first ones that kind of came out publicly and said, like, we're planning for a June 1st return. And that's relevant because they actually didn't get what they wanted. They, now everyone's coming back June 8th. They kind of took a middle ground there. The SEC did. But they have been prepared for June 1st. So when this all came in, everything was in place for what they're going to do. And actually now they just have an extra week to kind of coordinate a little more, talk with parents and all those things, and kind of just coordinate as much as they can. But they're ready. And I think that's... That's big because this is everyone's in the same boat, right? Everyone's in the same boat that everyone is lost all that time. But I think the teams that are really going to make the most out of this and really come out ahead are the teams that 
are able to, in the relative sense, you know, hit the ground running as best they can once June 8th hits. And I think that's big, and LSU is trying, clearly, to, to be at the forefront of that with what they're doing to the building, which we'll talk about, what they're doing, uh, what their testing protocols are, and then also just what Tommy Moffitt's strength plan is. And I think that's uh, going to be a fascinating thing. Cause, and I'm curious, I want to start here by asking this, because it's about Shelly Mullinex, who has had a fascinating job at LSU for you know 23 years. I'm curious, when you were at LSU, I mean, like, how familiar were you with everything Shelly Mullinex does? Because I've always been so fascinated because she has, like, six titles. And I always wonder, like, what does she do on a day-to-day basis? Um, I, I probably wasn't uh, familiar with the full extent. I mean, in my personal experience, um, she was one of the head trainers. So injury, physical therapy, anything like that, any questions like that. Um she had to take a nasty toenail off my big toe. They got massacred <laughs> one time. That was pretty brutal. Forgot to ask her Shout about that. Shelly. Yeah. Um, so like, so even like the nitty gritty stuff like that's like the bigger picture injury stuff. She also seemed to have almost like a bit of like uh, like guys would go and talk to her. Guys would go and talk to her. I don't know if that counts as being like a pseudo counselor. It's probably not one of her official titles. But all I know is her, Jack, and Andy were an incredibly strong trio in that room, and they all came from Florida State together. I think Andy's gone on, but Jack and Shelly are still holding it down. And um, it sounds like from your article that Shelly has been uh, in the lead in terms of figuring out the, the, the structures, as you put it in here, the structures for return. And describe her kind of, uh, describe the amount of work that she's been putting in to try to get this thing figured out. Yeah, and part of the reason I asked you that question about is because she does have so many titles. I mean, one of her titles is director of wellness for the past decade, which is like she's basically in charge of like the mental health of athletes and all those kind of things. She's a, she's a, one of her like multiple masters is in social work, so she has a lot of that part of it. She's the senior that associate athletic sense. director part of training, so she's basically the main administrator of of the training team and all that so she's in charge of coordinating surgeries and all those things so when this happened lsu i think it was kind of a no-brainer from what i understand was like shelly's gonna be the the point person on this and yeah so she i mean she actually said and there's a line in the story it's like by far she said i have exceeded hours that i've put in for any two a day that i've worked in 23 years so basically damn you know we just described all the roles she's had like this is her national championship right this is her alabama game this is the biggest thing she'll probably ever have to do which is coordinating this return and she said she's been working like 9 to 6 30 just non-stop without a break every day and then goes home and at home she's just spending that whole night preparing for the next day and and i think the big thing she and didn't make the story that much but a really fascinating thing she talked about was that need to to actually fight for you know a major seat at the table in the SEC, and actually, because if you're not the ones putting policies together and and actually you know being part of what's going to happen, then you're going to be behind and not prepared for when it does happen. And I thought oh, that was a fascinating I part hadn't of thought it. about that. Yeah, and and it sounds like you know they really did. You know, Catherine O'Neill, a Baton Rouge you know uh, infectious disease expert, she was kind of LSU's representative at those meetings, and they kind of really did have a key role. So. Here's what LSU is doing. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of things that he make the story that they're doing, but a lot of it really has to do with just reducing the viral load and whatnot. So LSU is, you know, they're putting thermal scanners around the building, basically, that anytime anyone walks through certain doors, there will be, you know, they'll be able to know their temperature and if they have a so, fever. So this isn't even like a, this isn't even like a, because, uh, you know, I've walked into places now, like whether it was. I had to go to like dermatologist or something, right? And they did like the forehand, the for the forehead scanner. 
uh, to get your temperature. And even that felt so like Star Trek, sci-fi, kind of dystopian future. I had to take a step back and be like, wow, like it's a, what, what a crazy world we live in. But this isn't even that. This is like a full body scan when you walk in. That was the sense I got. Wow. That is, yeah, that is wow. what I understood. I, I didn't dive too much into the specific of the scanner, so I will admit my ignorance there. But that was the sense I got. That so, so you're saying that, as you understand it, these are actual like full body thermal scanners. So when you walk in the building, it's checking who has a temperature and who doesn't. That is the sense I got. Yes, and that that is what she was kind of implying. I could be wrong on that, but that's what I understand. And and yeah, I mean, obviously, it's not it's not like all you know people who test positive for COVID-19 have fevers, but that's a solid percentage of it. That's a nice chunk. So that's yes. one way. Yeah. And then they're going to have it's their two whole thirds, team. right? That's what you said in your article. That's what she said. About and there's competing, thirds. there's competing science about wh- if that's at, which it is, but regardless, there is at least a solid percentage. And that's one of the, the things yeah. you could point at. And the scanner's telling you other things as well that can point out potential, you know, illness. So, and then obviously they have a full team of doctors doing checks and whatnot. So they're going to try to basically be on top of that because LSU is not doing the constant testing like some teams are. Some Now, in this part I found fascinating because they were saying like once this all went down, their email was just filled with dozens and dozens of companies basically reaching out being like, we have tests, we have this test, and everyone has the american spirit dude the the american entrepreneurial spirit never let a good disaster (laughs) go to waste you're right exactly and so and they were saying like the hard part then became figuring out which ones are actually reliable which ones are you know the best you know most cost effective all those things because you know there's a lot of schools she was saying that are actually going to do and it sounds better is you know Testing like PCR testing every like day or two, and basically just constant. So what is what is the, PCR testing? I mean, that is the test that I think actually tells you directly. You know, do you have? You know, I'm I'm, I'm way understating it, but okay. do you have COVID? Yeah, and then there's the antibody yeah. test, but but yeah, there's some that are basically doing that every other day. And she was saying like, first off, and this is just her, so I don't want to act like I I'm a complete agreement because I'm I'm deferring to her as the expert. But she was like, that's not even what science. You report, you reporting on what yeah. she she said and was like that. Yeah, and she was saying like that's not even what the science suggests. And also for them to be able to do that, she's under the impression that they must be basically using some of the companies that are a little cheaper and it's self administered and you're doing it all yourself and like swabbing yourself or you know every day and. And she's like, that's not science. That's not actually, you know, you need somebody who's an expert on this to do all this right. So she was kind of skeptical, it seemed, of all of the people doing that. So what LSU is doing is, you know, in Baton Rouge, the PCR testing is free at any hospital and whatnot. And you get it back in a day. So they're like, they'll be able to get that from them when they need it. And then they're doing antibody testing and they are paying for those, which are about 100 a test, which obviously is going to add up. And, and they, they're kind of paying a little more than some other schools that I've heard of because they I guess they are trying to get the more accurate ones. But they're going to so basically they're it almost sounds like they're doing more of a test when you need, but do everything else extreme to make sure you don't have to test kind of thing. So, you know, they're they're rerouting the entire building so that people there's less touch points. You know, they can only enter through certain doorways because. You know, for obvious reasons, you want less touch points there. You're rerouting the traffic to mean that people are not really passing by each other too often. There's certain areas that, you know, may just maybe we don't need to go in this area right now at this time of the season. But one thing I found fascinating also was she was like, the meeting room is a really stupid place to go right now. Like, why go in a closed meeting room 
with like 15 people in relatively close vicinity. So if anyone gets it, they're probably all getting it. So they're like, we mastered Zoom. Why not stick with it? So they might all be in the same building, but just stay on Zoom because it's just, hey, this is working for them. This is what's doing. Like, why mess with that? Or maybe do outdoor meetings. I found I found that part really fascinating. And the coaches have already been doing this for about three weeks, so they must be kind of ready for it. Dude, outdoor meetings in the summer in Baton Rouge sounds horrible. Um, <laughs> that's true. I mean, yeah, I, I, I get that you have to do what you anywhere else do, in the country. And... It's like that sounds nice, and here it's like that's a that's yeah, a right. Like sentence. yeah, oh yeah, you get out the building, you get into some sunshine, but like, bro, you leave that, you leave the friendly confines of the AC for an outdoor meeting during summer in BR, and you're uh, getting nothing uh, done. It could be kind of miserable, but 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 I, I, I what I'd enjoyed about those details is that it does show how granular they're attempting to be in their preparation for this, specifically when you talk about rerouting uh, like employees and kind of creating different ways to get to places to kind of keep people separated. Now, I wonder, you know, obviously it's all good in plan and practice. How strict will they be with it? How much will they abide by it? May determine the efficacy of it, but... Uh, it's certainly fascinating to see everything, to the, the, the links that they're going to. Um, and then so let's talk about the weight room then. because so That's the big thing, right? We've talked about it during summer, um, like really just year-round. The, the, the guy that you spend more time with than any other coach, position coach, head coach, anybody, is Tommy Moffitt. And the room that you spend more time in than anywhere else in your entire college career is that weight room in the indoor working out with uh, your teammates, right? And so that then becomes the the number one area from the athlete's perspective that you have to keep under control and that you have to try to create some protocols for. Um, what is LSU doing to try to keep the the weight room open, especially ahead of the season where like the majority of the prep is going to take place? Yeah, and that that is the big thing because yeah, like as much as we're talking about all these other parts, like that's really what they're coming back for. Players can't really do that much right now. I mean, the big thing is being able to get back with Tommy Moffitt in the strength program. So the big change on Tommy Moffitt's end is they are going down to only twenty people in the weight room at a time, which or twenty athletes in the weight room at a time, which you know he was saying, and you know this as well as anyone that normally what they like to do is I mean they'll have like. 40 or 50 in the 6 a.m. session, then another 30 or 40 in the noon session, then there's the freshman session, and they're able to break it out in big groups. And and if he said, if I'm being honest, like I very much think bigger groups are better because just the the vibes different in there, the energy's higher, everyone's more involved. And he's like, well, I just get he's. I asked him like, is there any devil's advocate to maybe you know smaller groups means more attention and all those things and he's like it's very possible but we can't even be that direct with him because of because of safety and we're yeah. losing you're just losing energy there and he's like I, it's just not it's not as effective and like he's not using that as an excuse he was just kind of saying that it's going to be a challenge no, you for are. them i mean to jump in here like you are losing a bit of energy so one thing that's fascinating me so i saw 20 athletes at a time working out i'm like okay you know that's a that seems like a reasonable number. What I didn't realize is that LSU's weight room has gotten so badass that that means that everybody gets their own rack. <laughs> like you can have twenty guys in there and you still get your own weight rack. I don't think we had. Maybe we had the. I, I don't know. That just that feels kind of that that cred speaks to how how just crazy those facilities are. That's um, a good point. But but because, but, because well, a lot of places don't have that there, luxury. A lot of places are trying to figure out like if they're going to do. What's that? You got 
You know what I'm saying? They got like 20 custom racks that you can bench, squat, clean, bands, do everything on. They got like tiger eyes on them. No, it speaks to like big time college football, right? And there's a lot of schools right now that are trying to figure out what they're going to do. Where like some are going to try to do outdoor workouts and all these things because they just need to figure out how to be safe. So LSU, they're going to do a lot of outdoor stuff from what I understand. But that is just huge for them to have that luxury. And then, and then, yeah, you add in, of course. It's it's a bit of like a have, have not situation. Uh, But, but the other thing there is if it is only one person per rack, um, you talk about energy, like one of the main motivating factors, just in my experience when working out was like the other three bros on your rack, right? Like normally you worked out by position group and whoever there's with you. I mean, that's who's spotting you. That's who's kind of slapping you in the chest on the ass. That's who's getting you fired up. And it just, it's, it's going to seem like such a foreign experience to be in there. And then, and then like, how do they do things like spotting, right? Like, are, are, are they spotting the bar? Do they wear masks, gloves? I don't know exactly what's going to go on, but it's going to be uh, an adjustment period energy-wise, and I could see why Moffat would actually... Because I'm like you. My brain immediately went to, oh, 20 athletes. Well, then you could be like really personal with the detail, but I haven't even considered what's what's lost in that process. Yeah, exactly. And and answer your question, I mean, yeah, so I think the coaches are going to be about six feet behind, obviously, but I, I, I'm under the impression that they do understand, like, you know, if if they're needed, they probably can jump in, and there is kind of a an understanding that yeah, most likely, yeah, no, and like most likely like, they, it's like somebody somebody's going to bitch, and they just can't get it up, and it's like choking him, and they're like, oh shit, we can't, <laughs> t- what are we gonna do? Yeah. No, the rules are rules, and man. He had a good run. Yeah, well, rules are dude. We need a good linebacker. Yeah, we need a new I mean, linebacker now. As we said uh, earlier, how strict you're willing to be is going to determine the efficacy. I mean, how bad, like Moffat used to say, how bad do you want it and what are you willing to sacrifice? It's for the good of the tribe, boys. Yeah, yeah, you got to let it be, dude. um, But one thing, but was fast, I think one of the big things that I took from this that also, I was kind of surprised people weren't, because I I think the question with everyone around the country has been, what happens when there's a positive test, right? Nobody knew the answer. Yes. I mean, we even did our anonymous player survey and I, I had two of the people I reached out to, that was the number one question. It was just like, I don't know what we're going to do when there's a positive test. And their answer was surprising, and it was basically, you know, Shelly Mullenick said they think they've they've structured everything so well that if somebody, you know, gets, you know, gets COVID, basically they're under the impression that if they do if they execute everything right, basically only one or two other people will have come in contact with them if they if they really do this right. So, they actually don't think yeah. they'll have to shut anything down. They'll just have to quarantine or isolate those those two, maybe three people. And then everything else can kind of run as as it was. So I think that's really that was kind of shocking to me. And and then there's that part of it which is yeah, but how do you monitor what they're doing outside of you know the the, the team? And and she was really and realistic. Gets, yeah. And she was like, hey, I'm not stupid. These are 18 to 22 year old kids. They're not going to stay in their dorm all day. I understand that. I even told them I understand that. I understand if they're not going to go to the meal, you know, to the cafeteria every time to get their meals, especially the way they have it set up, which is probably it's more about safety now. So she's like, yeah, but just, I asked them, just do Uber Eats if you can, or, or even just do takeout. Don't hang in a restaurant, even though Louisiana is opening up right now. Don't all hang out side by side. If you're going to hang out or do what you got to do, like, try to stay apart. Try to wear a mask, all those kind of things. And I just I still can't help but think that's going to be hard to ask eighteen to twenty two year olds to to follow that. But there's that one big factor she said, and this was really fascinating. She was like, "You have to keep in mind that the communities of color have been the ones hit the most by all of this." And 
you know, it's, a, it's an LSU football team. The, the overwhelming majority of the players on this team are African-American. So they, I mean, there have been players who have lost family members to this already. And a lot of them have had family members who have been sick. And coaches have lost people, you know, to this. So I think she was saying they're actually going to, those kids are actually more likely to listen because they actually know it up close. They're not kind of blind to this. Yeah. And, um, it just, and, and that's just, it's just all a situation where it just kind of remains to be seen. In fact, if there was one part of this that I thought was kind of interesting, it's like, uh, first off, I, I didn't think the testing strategy is completely clear. And, the idea that you know what happens if someone gets it like i love the the plan to hopefully prevent the spread right and in theory this idea that you can compartmentalize everything in fact if i had to like use one word to kind of describe the entire strategy you're trying to compartmentalize things so there's minimum contact so i mean she, she has the quote right here she says what would have taken out an entire team might just take out like two people for a count of 10 days but it's still just I get what, whatever it's, it's one of those things where, you know, the best laid plans of mice and men or no battle plan survives first contact. You put in all this work, you've got a good looking plan on paper in theory. And now comes the tough part because in two weeks, people are going to report. It's going to be real and you're going to figure out what works and what doesn't. You're going to figure out ways to improve. And then the big hope is that obviously, Nobody gets sick, and 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 obviously that nobody would like get seriously sick. And and, and where it becomes interesting is maybe even less with the players, but like as you pointed out, like these coaches are older, right? Tommy Moffat's in incredible shape, but I, I believe he's in his fifties at this point. The majority of the coaching staffs probably around those forties, fifties to sixties, and and so that's just I mean it's 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 kind of an interesting dynamic knowing that you're technically in an at-risk group and you're entering um you're kind of one of the first to re-enter the fold that's i think kind of because i asked them like well that is the highest risk group how have they been so far and she was saying because they've already been there for three weeks as you know i mean granted they're on break right now but these coaches have already been back for three weeks and she was saying you know like they have actually they have been doing everything right for a while they were the ones asking a ridiculous amount of questions and kind of taking well taking it the most seriously because the things we're saying so they've already gotten used to some of these new protocols and how they're going to do things with meetings and all that so and then they're using those coaches to stress it to the players more and then you know if in the they're telling the players like hey you want your receivers coach out there able to call plays for you well you need to take this seriously and things like that so they are using that as a a key teaching point so it will be fascinating okay so we'll we'll see we'll see what happens with lsu but now you know what their plans are in terms of making this happen uh last couple minutes here last five minutes let's take a look at another athletic article As a lot of the lead college football writers from the athletic um, got together and they have tried to do what seems impossible now with what happened last year. Well, whatever. That's the outlier. But they're going to try to predict who, who will win the Heisman. Okay. Now, nobody would have predicted Burrow last year. It happened. Um, this year, uh, you had Matt Fortuna, Bruce Feldman, Nicole Auerbach, Matt Colson, Andy Staples, Stuart Mandel, Chris Vanini. You know, the, the, the CFB National Rivals, they got together, did a snake draft, and they each chose players that they think can win the Heisman. Uh, I, I think we just dive into some of these names, right? Like, these are just, like, names to look out for that I think will be big this season. And Matt Fortuna, knowing what he's doing off the bat, hits on um, who, who has got to be the, the, the favorite, right? Justin Fields out of Ohio State. 
Yeah, I mean, I think that it's tricky because obviously Fields and Lawrence have to go one too. I mean, they are the two clear cut, at least like established best, you know, quarterbacks in college football. They play for probably the two best teams in college football. There's just, you know, they're they're going to have those odds. But then there's that part in the back of your mind that thinks. I mean, how many times in the last two decades has the guy we all assume will win it ever won it? So in like another way, it's almost a bad pick. I mean, I'm looking at the last ten eyes winners right now, and okay. yeah. And I mean, oh no, I think it's a good pick. I mean, I think nope, Justin nope, Fields nope, is no, the best pick. Buy. Absolutely, bad pick Fortuna. Explain <laughs> why, Brody. <laughs> but but if you're looking at the last ten Heisman winners, I mean, Burrow was uh, came out of nowhere. Kyler Murray wasn't exactly high on any boards at the time, and people knew Kyler Murray was a good football player, but he wasn't a high odds guy. I think the only one that I can really look at that was kind of like, all right, everyone knows he's really good is Baker Mayfield by 2017. We all knew was the goods, and that wasn't too surprising. Or maybe, you know, Marcus Mariota. But but I just don't think there are many that that would qualify there. So I do find that kind of a, a risky thing. So And then I, I always go back to when I'm, whenever I'm picking odds and all these things, it's the only reason I always put Kellen Mond high on my – like list it's not because i'm sure kellen mond's good it's that i'm sure if kellen mond is good he'll be a high candidate just because uh, you're looking for the, the value line. yeah, there's, there's yeah a lot it's, of it's be, where's there's the storyline yeah there's a lot of value to it's be like had with mond a&m is in a position high. to be a surprisingly really good team right so if wait, kellen mond's wait okay good, he'll we be have top to talk story. about this we have to talk about this we talk about it all the time um i got um i feel like we talk about this every three weeks what the a&m schedule yes uh, have we? Have we really? Uh, did, oh, did we talk about it last okay, week? Okay, go on, go on. No, no, no. Did, did we talk about this last week? How they should start ten and zero, or it's a failure and Jimbo? No, we did not. Fired. We okay. talked like a month ago um, about how they should start really well, and then it gets okay, really. Yeah, hard. I don't. I guess I just didn't realize that Cole Kublik brought it up. I mean, if they don't go ten and zero or nine and one, Jimbo, uh, there, there, there should be hell. It's ACU, North Texas, Colorado, Arkansas, Mississippi State, Fresno State. Auburn, very tough at Auburn. South Carolina, not tough at all. Will Muschamp, Ole Miss, Vanderbilt. I mean, come on. So I'm just I, the only reason I bring that up is because, as you said, Kellen Mond, a lot of value to be had there. Okay, so if Justin Fields and Trevor no, Lawrence. By the way, I just want to say one last thing about A and M. It's and it's like people are going to be like, oh, A and M schedule is a joke. Well, let's give them a benefit of the doubt. They had the toughest schedule in college football by a wide margin in the last two years. So let's well, give so them a, thing, right? a little that's bit thing, of support there. This is this is the the same thing that we're going to learn with Tom Brady and Bill Belichick this year. Um, like who was making who successful, right? Like was A and M struggling because they're not really one of the best teams in college football, yeah. or are they struggling just because they had an absurdly hard schedule? Like well, I don't the, think they the, were great last year. I just think this year they have the highest. Uh, returning production rating by far in the SEC. They have a lot of talent back. Jimbo's in year three, which means he's been recruiting at a higher level than they had, and well, relatively speaking. And he has an established quarterback. And I just think uh, we can move on from this. But I just think if like, not now, the, when I love it, just, Brody, you're on board. Yeah. Jimbo should be fired if he doesn't go ten and zero. Wow, <laughs> you heard it here first. At least nine and one. Uh, at least nine and one. Anyway. Uh, we can we can not fired, but we can agree that if you don't go nine and one, it's that's a failure. You messed uh, up. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, okay. So if yeah, so I always look for the mo- or two yeah. chalk is Spencer Rattler and even Rattler two chalk and then the Rattler's Oklahoma a great one. I mean Rattler might be that might be the best pick because it's you know he's Oklahoma you know he's a star yeah. quarterback he's Lincoln Riley's yeah. guy but he's also still you know we know he's good but he's still coming out of the nowhere to the most of the public so I I think that's a really good one Jamie Newman would fit that story Jamie Newman is the Burrow storyline except you know. Not the literal, he struggled and got better, but 
offense that wasn't good, but you know the talent's there, might actually put it all together. I mean, if if it works out, it will probably work out really, really well. So I, I think that's a great mm-hmm. one. And then, But then you just get into like, I'm almost surprised some of these guys last as long as they did. I'm surprised... I'm surprised no one picked Sam Howell earlier just for that reason. I'm not saying Sam Howell's as good as these guys, but so, so if for people UNC that don't know, good- so it went Fields, Lawrence, Rattler, yes. Newman, then Tanner Morgan, uh, who is the Minnesota like quarterback. Okay, okay. I mean, I, I, I like Minnesota content. I like PJ Flag. Well, it, it works for this like- reason. I think it works because we know. Okay, if you're looking at like established players. In college football right now, Tanner Morgan is one of the four or five most established, really good quarterbacks in the country. Like, so you're getting value there. You know he's that good, but he is by no means a household name. He's, no one's like following the ins and outs of Minnesota football. So he still would have like a a big breakout storyline thing. He yep. would have all that, and he's. But you also know he's really good already. It's not like a a Rattler or a Newman where there's some guesswork there. So I actually think that's a. While it's not a very sexy pick, I think that's really smart. Um, and then Keaton Slovis next from USC. I, I just can't get excited about anything about SC. But but you are right. Like if they are good and if he's good, playing at SC just sets you up perfectly for media and everybody to fall in love with you. Also, like you, especially because USC's been so bad recently that anything good you do will shine that much brighter against the darkness of the last few years. And you have the, it's the Miles Brennan thing where he also has, first off, he proved he was pretty darn good last year, but he also has the benefit of having one of the three or four best receiving cores of college football. I mean, their skill talent is loaded this year at USC. So, I mean, he has the pieces to help him out and put up some pretty absurd numbers and hopefully the one getting the love for that. So I love that pick as well. I think that's actually... Cause and it's and it's gonna we're gonna find out right away because they open with Alabama. Well, we hope. I guess that's a big if. But I'm just saying, like, if he comes out week one and plays really well against Alabama, even if they lose, all of a sudden the whole country knows Keaton Slovis, and I think that's actually gonna help his campaign one way or another, or it will yeah, fall apart. USC. Right that's like the most USC thing I've ever heard. But you're right. Like they don't even have to beat Alabama. It'll just be enough <laughs> for him to like look good against Alabama, and LA will fall over itself to fall in love. Um, do you think Alabama smokes? I love the Jaden Jalen Waddle pick too. Uh, okay, because so if Travis a receiver's going to win it, Tra- well, hold on, let's go on. we'll just keep going in order. So Travis Etienne uh, was picked after Slovis. Um, makes sense, right? If a running back's going to win it, yeah. win it, why not? Uh, then you get 100%. into Kellen Mond first pick around two. Somebody seeing some value there, pulling the trigger on Mond. Uh oh! Check this out. It's right here in the article. The Aggies played nine of their first ten games against teams that had losing records. Wow, Benini, me and him were just <laughs> right in line. Then you get to Jalen Waddle. So why did you why did you like this Jalen Waddle pick? Who was wide receiver for Alabama? Well, I mean, my, my immediate answer is just go back and watch that seventy seven yard punt return against LSU last year, where a guy grabs his face mask and he just like spins out of the face mask and goes seventy seven yards. But Incredible I just won. He's super excited. It was amazing. But the face mask, super the face exciting mask player. helped him score, ironically. You know my yes, feelings it did. on this. Okay. Yes, you actually, yeah, you do have a very solid point on this. It threw everything off. But anyway. The physics off. Um, he's an exciting player, and if it, re- it makes like actually cool-to-watch plays. And if your receiver was going to win it, you need that factor. That's just a fact. And if your receiver is going to win it, you probably need to be more than just a receiver. You need to kind of be all-purpose, and he is a really good return man, who I bet they also will probably get creative with and use around the field. So the idea of kind of him now, well, along with Devontae Smith, being one of the focal points, 
I actually I'm I'm not saying I would put money on it, but if you're gonna pick a receiver, I do love that pick. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, so it was Stuart Mandela picked him, and then uh, Andy Staples comes in with Derek King out of Miami. Everybody else is writing like paragraphs, and Staples just wrote like one sentence, the most generic <laughs> thing ever. It's like could revolutionize Miami office. That let's face it, should have been hurry up spread ten years ago. Yeah, well, okay, but that's all he needed to write because yeah, if it works out, another one like SC yeah, that everybody wants. Everybody wants the U to be yeah. back, right? And if you're the guy that brings the U back, it's not, I mean, even bringing LSU back a bit is what, well, I don't know. I don't know if that's actually accurate. Whatever. Everybody wants you to be back. I mean, it's not that that far off. Um, Yeah. Sam. And and he's, we've watched, he was a Heisman favorite last year. He was one of the main guys. So it's like, you you put him in a theoretically better team for him. I mean, yeah, I'm not saying, I have no, my guess would be it doesn't work out that well, but. If it does, I mean, he's so exciting, so you have to put it Okay, up. I just realized that this is a longer draft than I... Holy crap, there's a lot yeah, of we rounds Yeah, we're not going to go through them all. We're not going to go through <laughs> Okay, no, I thought there were only two rounds. I was just going to list Okay, other guys that jump out, Ellinger's on there. LSU fans can look to see him. Um, Najee Harris. You had something you want to say about Sam Howell out of North Carolina? Well, and this is me just repeating myself, but he would be. The, he's a great pick because... UNC has expectations this year that could be pretty pretty solid, and he seems like he's the next big thing. I mean, he kind of seems like he could be like a – I mean, this is way ahead of time. This is Jake Fromm all over again, but he's already being pitched as like a 2022 first overall pick candidate kind of guy. So, I mean, this could kind of be his national coming out party if he executes, which I don't think is fair, and I bet they probably realistically go like 8-4, and four, but still, I'm just saying, that's a good one. And then you get to your LSU guys. Yeah, and Both round Demar three. Chase Brennan go in the third round. Fortuna takes Jamar Chase, which, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think he it makes a lot of sense for him to be the second receiver off this list. Uh, Justin Ross and Kyle Trask come in after him, Mac Jones, and then you get to KJ. Well, KJ, Cost, KJ Costello. Wow, Andy. Okay, yeah. Now, now we're doing now we're doing some things, uh, and then right after him, Miles Brennan, dude. Sure, I mean, we'll see. We'll see. Imagine. Yeah, I mean, I think it's more. I would rather have Miles Brennan in this than I would Jamar Chase, just because Jamar Chase doesn't. First off, you know, again, I just, I, I really do believe the storyline thing. I just think that's huge. And Jamar Chase, if he's the same, first off, there's no way he matches what he did last year. That's just not humanly realistic. So then, even if he matched what he did last year, there's not anything necessarily new about that. There's not anything necessarily, you know. Like Heisman-y necessarily about that, so I just don't love that pick. He he would be the best receiver just by being a really damn good receiver. And there's no like, but if he does that, it probably means Miles. Bre- I'd rather have Miles Brennan, who's actually the quarterback doing these things, would act. That would mean he actually, you know, I don't know. I, I'm talking in circles, but I think J- Miles Brennan would be a better bet than Jamar Chase. So, how do you feel about Bruce Feldman taking a North Dakota State quarterback, Trey Lance? Think he'll win the Heisman? Uh, I, I, I do not think Trey Lance will win the Heisman. I think that is a, uh, I think that is Bruce knowing he, he won't win the Heisman, but it's a good place to cement that you think he's a really good quarterback, which is Well, fair. then how about I, this? We've got to give respect th- again to Matt Fortuna because um, there was only one person in this entire list with the vision, the leadership, the creativity <laughs> – to choose an O-lineman to win the Heisman. And in round five, Panay Sewell out of Oregon comes off the board. Let's go. Look, the West Coast loves him. He's damn good. Like, I don't think he wins, 
but there's it's been a while since a big guy on the offensive side has made it to New York. Like you get this storyline hot enough, he might end up in New York. Oregon has to be good, but that would be awesome. Yeah. And I mean, I talked to like at least two voters last year who either did put him in their ballot or were very much like I think he's going to get my third spot. Like I I and maybe they just didn't quite, but I mean, he actually got consideration last year. So, I mean, no, he's not going to win it. But I, I love that he put him there. I don't think that's a terrible move, especially if you're going off the point system and all that. I could totally see him getting, like, a trip you, you to New should, York I mean, it's so y- y'all, they're kind of scoring this thing. You should get some sort of value for cares, choosing but. a no lineman. You should get a little bonus, but that's fine. Um, yeah. If it happens. Especially, uh, I mean, like, I don't think Micah Parsons is going to get it. I, I, I mean, what do I know? But, yeah, because Micah Parsons went in the fourth round, the linebacker from Penn State. He went before him, so... If I'm throwing another one out that I like, it, it it's I even I admit this even as a Hoosier, Rondale Moore from Purdue in the fourth round is a pretty good one from Chris Vanini. I mean, as somebody who has to watch Purdue a good amount and also like t- you know kind of watches a little like follows high school football, Indiana high school prospects, Rondale Moore is so fun to watch. He's awesome. I assume Purdue's gonna be a good amount better this year than you know from a rough year last year. So Dude, I like that pick too, a good amount. Too unpredictable, man. They're too unpredictable. They are. Every Saturday, we well, they're a victim of being successful football. too quick. Yeah, yeah. I they were successful too quick, so people had unfair expectations, and they lost the whole defense. And everyone's like, "Why is he bad now?" And it's like, "Well, he still has to build the program." Mm, Brody, too much context. Remember, sports talk just wins and losses. It's all that matters. I know and you got to keep reminding people. I'm sorry, man. Yeah, I know. Well, we'll teach you the ropes eventually. Uh, well, but what if my it. gimmick is I just yell context? Like I don't even have <laughs> takes. I just yell context. <laughs> I think there's a market there, man. I think I can make a career out of this. Uh, well, actually, if you look at the returning production, you would have realized that the expectations were set artificially high due to early success, which he deserves credit for, not criticism. He strained his. He pulled his. He strained a ligament <laughs> week three. He was only sixty percent those three weeks. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, so that'll do for this week's Hold That Podcast podcast. Shout out to The Athletic. Shout out to our guy, John Hayes, producing the show. Shout out to Brody Miller. Shout out to you, the listener. If you enjoy this, uh, go ahead and share it with your friends. Subscribe, you know, the old things. And go to theathletic.com slash hold that podcast and um, sign up. Take advantage of the sign up deal. Uh, Brody, anything else as we sign off? I think that's all. You did it beautifully. Thanks for listening, guys. Thanks for listening, y'all, and we will see you next week on the Hold That Podcast podcast.